Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where the rhythm is going to get you. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. Gonna get you, rhythm is gonna get you. That's all you can do. There you run into copyright violation. Um, today we're talking yep. about, uh, well, we want to talk about the cadence of Hyrule, the new Zelda game that's also <laughs> yeah. not a Zelda game because it's a rhythm game. But then we started texting about it, and I realized there was a deeper discussion to be had about rhythm games here. So I think that's where we're going to start, because I love rhythm games, and apparently you don't. Okay, I like some rhythm games. Like, it takes a very particular kind of rhythm game to really get me to to play it for a long period of time. Like, I have no rhythm. Like, it's not even me saying that. It's like, oh, maybe, you know. No, that's not even an exaggeration. It's my dad was a musician, and he's never been able to teach me an instrument. Uh, my wife was in the band. She has to explain music stuff to me all the time and I just sit there and smile and nod because I do not understand and it's just trying to stay on beat and within any kind of rhythm is just so hard for me it's just so foreign to me that most rhythm games are the they're kind of those games that you play at a party and you're like oh I'm gonna be terrible at this and then you're terrible at that but you're having fun with your friends but when you're alone it's like there's no way I'm gonna play that because it just makes me frustrated and stressed out that's kind of what rhythm games are for me they're the opposite for me like i see it at a party and i'm like why would you want to do that like there's so much noise and you can't concentrate and it doesn't look fun whereas like i will play rhythm games on my own when it's like oh okay i can just like listen to music and like feel the beat and i don't you know i i was in some lessons for music over time but i never really took to any of the formal training um and i'm not like a musician but i definitely have rhythm for something not for like not for everything. I can't dance worth anything. So let's not even go there. <laughs> but in terms of like feeling a beat and like understanding the rhythm or the beat under something, I can do that. And I don't do it in a way where like I count or I use, you know, how people can like learn with a metronome or you, you learn like mm-hmm. four, four time or other time measurements or, you know, other music terms that I don't have off the top of my head. Um, I don't do that, but like I can just like internalize it really quickly and then just like feel what the beat is supposed to be. So okay. rhythm games click for me. Like I love them. So over the years, and I cannot internalize them. That kind of internalizing the beat and feeling it, I can usually get for maybe three or four beats and then I'm off. There's there's just no way I can do it. Like I don't I don't feel that. So games like Crypt of the Necrodancer and uh, stuff like that, specifically Amplitude, the ones where there's more gameplay to it than like Guitar Hero, those tend to be really frustrating for me. But um, like you have listed in the notes, like DDR and Guitar Hero and Rock Band and stuff like that. Like I'll play those with my friends and have fun with them, but I can't do them on higher levels that when it gets to the point where it's just beyond like the beginner and easy stuff, I don't have the, the, I don't even want to say I don't have the capacity for them. It's I can't internalize that, like you said, where it just becomes so alien and foreign that I can't do it. It's weird too, because like I can only internalize it. Like if I try to make it a conscious effort to like count a beat or whatever, I don't do it well. Like I, I never have been able to do that well. Whereas if I don't think about it, if I just like feel it instead, I can absolutely do it like without thinking. And that's kind of how I play these games. Like, you know, DDR is amazing, which is Dance Dance Revolution. If you guys have never played it with the dance pad on the ground, I love that game. Oh, um, I love it so much. I still yeah. play it every time I go to an arcade or Dave and Buster's that has one. I still play it, and I'm always that dude who's embarrassing up there that people are like, eh, okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Guitar Hero and Rock Band, like, I loved Rock Band when it was huge, mm. and, you know, I had the plastic instruments around for a long time because that game was amazing. And there's probably a ton of others I've forgotten over the years. I know there's um, the one in VR with the shields that I'm blanking on. Was it Audio Shield? Audio Shield, yep. And Audio Surf, for that matter, too. Okay. Where you're like, actually moving on kind of a freeway path. It's very psychedelic. That's underselling it. They sound so it. cool. Like, I want to actually really try those from going back to our VR episode when we were talking about that initially. Those sound really, really cool. I would oh, yeah. be terrible at them. Audio Shield is amazing. Like, I love that game. It was fantastic. I just didn't have space for VR, which is why I ended up selling my stuff. And now VR tech is changing so fast. That I don't want to buy anything 
even though right. I finally have space where I can do it because of the house that we're in now. So I think at some point I'll get back around to VR. It's just not now isn't the time, not when the technology is rapidly iterating the way that it is. But I would love to get back to some rhythm games in VR because they were so fun. I didn't even think about your new place giving you VR space. That will be awesome once they actually settle down enough to get you a, a good system for that. Yeah, it'll be sweet. But like rhythm games in general, right? I get into this flow state, which is just amazing. Like I love games that can put you into a flow state where, and if you guys aren't familiar with the term flow, it's where something is like challenging you to the point where you're fully engaged with it. So it's not too hard and it's not too easy and you're just in the moment and it takes a very certain type of challenge to get you there. But I find that rhythm games are one of the things that can get me there the easiest and like keep me in that flow state for the longest. And they stress me out. Even watching videos of very high skill people doing it stresses me out because I cannot follow along and understand exactly how they're doing all of it. And playing like getting up to the higher levels of difficulty in rhythm games makes me want to go back and give like formal instrument training another try. I'm short on time at the moment, like as you guys probably know, based on what we talk about in the podcast and how much free time I have these days. But I think someday it would be cool to go back and, um, you know, I've played around with a bunch of instruments over time, even though I never really latched all the way onto one. I think piano might be the one that actually clicks with my brain the best because it's very structured in the way that the notes are, whereas a lot of the other ones have confusing buttons and things. Some of the other instruments I've done over the years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like I get to that high end rhythm game level and I'm like, oh, yeah, I really like complicated music and I like music that takes effort and takes skill. Like I should probably think about this and doing this like for real someday, whereas it sounds like that just stresses you out. If you ever do that, I bet you would just love it. Probably. I bet I would really like it. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's just like it's a really cool way to get into a flow state and just like enjoy the music, especially if it's a good beat and it's music that I like, which kind of takes us to Crypt of the Necrodancer, Cadence of Hyrule, which right. I keep messing up the name of it. I think it might be Legend of Zelda, Cadence of Hyrule, something, something, Crypt of the Necrodancer. It's like an extremely long title. Yeah, it's it's almost Kingdom Hearts level laughable for how long it is. But I don't know. Yeah, I just... I've seen everything calling it Cadence of Hyrule lately and not even talking about the Crypt of the Necrodancer part of it. Yeah, and I mean, it came from the Crypt of the Necrodancer people, studio, the yep. indie dev, whatever, because it's based on that game. Um, it's so much better than that game. Like, Crypt so of the Necrodancer, uh, to just set up the premise, is you move your character on the beat, and by moving, you explore dungeons and you kill enemies and you unlock loot and all of that kind of stuff. It's like a dungeon crawl, but to a beat, essentially. But it's also a roguelike and it's also um, procedurally generated. And every time you die, it will procedurally generate the levels from scratch. So you can never really like learn a level layout. It's always like figuring it out on the go. And that was kind of what put me off of that game eventually. Like, it was too roguelike, it was too punishing when you died, and I could never really learn enough about it to feel like I was making good progress. And for me, part of it, in addition, like, I bounced off of that one very quickly, obviously, um, but the reason was because of how frenetic it ended up being. The enemies moved along with the beat at the same time you did, and so when you did that, it was it was forcing you to move every beat. There was no time to think about anything, and that's part of it being a roguelike, I understand, but for someone who really can't feel the beat or keep up continually with a beat I would just get destroyed that it was it was stressful and there were there it was doing things that I was in no way capable of keeping up with so Necrodancer was a, a hard pass for me I think I maybe put in 20 minutes into it and realized that there was no way I could ever play it so I thought I was going to 100% avoid Cadence of Hyrule that I did not expect to buy this game and much less like it and then I noticed because I saw it somewhere that this game has a mode where you don't have to stay to the beat and I sent that to you and then you were interested 
Yes, because at that point, it turns it essentially into a strategy game. Right. That everybody still moves at the same time. That when you take an action, take a move, everything on screen still moves at the exact same time, but you can stand there and see what they're doing and then adjust to it. So it's almost like a Zelda turn-based strategy game as opposed to a Zelda make BJ want to bash his head into the wall game. (laughs) And that's the game that I want. I want that one because that's what I played. Like, I didn't do the strategy level where you can stop and take your time. I truly just, it got me to that flow state where I wasn't thinking about what I was doing. I was just reacting and feeling the beat. And the beat became completely second nature after probably like an hour. And, you know, between my kids and I, I think we spent eight hours in our first run through. And I'm really tempted to go back and do another whole playthrough of the game again. And they have a custom mode where you basically get to choose what kinds of things happen. Like you can set different kinds of of options so that when you go in the different uh, you can not have a store after you die uh, so that you don't get bonuses uh, based on the currency to to make it harder on yourself, that kind of thing. And uh, so you can do a little bit more with that almost like like either a hard mode or a new game plus sometimes. Yeah, and I mean, I guess a couple of the basic things about the game, you can play as Link or Zelda, which is really cool. So I picked really Zelda cool. right away, like obviously. And um, it's two player. Also, you can play the whole game as co-op, which was really fun. Um, so my kids and I did a bunch of that. And it's a lot better at mixing intense sections with non-intense sections compared to the like Crypt of the Necrodancer alone. Because... You can beat a screen of enemies, like a Zelda screen of enemies, you know, if you're thinking about, um, what, like A Link to the Past or even like old school, like original Zelda games, that kind of screen where you clear it of enemies and then you don't have to move to the beat anymore. You can move however you want and take your time exploring and you still get the music, but it's kind of like no pressure. So it's really cool to like do well and beat a screen and then just like take a breather for a minute like you don't have to always keep going non-stop if you don't want to and once you finish those screens that's when you get to explore and do the treasury puzzle type stuff because there will be cliffs that have rocks that need to be moved and you've got to move everything around on the screen to be able to basically climb these different cliffs to be able to get to the treasure and you can't do that really when enemies are everywhere but you can once once the rhythm gets off and you can just explore a little bit well and that's funny because like that's how i started too but once the beat got to the part where it was like second nature and it was just ingrained in me i would just not even bother with the enemies sometimes i would just do like the puzzles and like do my exploration and my puzzle solving and stuff to the beat because i could do it without even really thinking about it and that was super fun too because you're a robot you you get to do like zelda music and zelda areas and it's it's more of a zelda game than it is uh the crypt of the necrodancer game you know or yes. like more zelda than it is rhythm in a lot of ways especially because you can turn off the rhythm like you said but this is probably one of my favorite zelda games of all time just zelda games as a whole it's not going to be number one like i still think breath of the wild is right up there with number one and there's probably you know a couple of the classic zeldas or the ones that i like the best would probably be like two or three but this is definitely this might compete for spot number three or spot number four like it's a fantastic zelda game yeah when you texted me that you had finished it and you actually messaged me and said that this might be your second favorite zelda of all time it might be i have to really think about it. it the problem is i'm too fresh on it so i like it too much right now i have to give it time to mellow and then i'll see oh and i completely understand that That's why I ended up buying it, though, because as much as you like the series and then you've done the run through of all the games over the last year or so, maybe it was last year when you did that, where when that happened and you said that, I was like, oh, maybe I should look into this if it's if I can turn off the rhythm and play it like a Zelda game, because I was so interested in it when they first showed the trailer for it i got so excited and then they showed that it was a crypt of the necrodancer game and my hopes were dashed you restored my hope in 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 hyrule manity i'm so <laughs> okay. sorry i'm sorry dude <laughs> that was bad i'm but, gonna leave that in the podcast though but it's it's zelda and it's zelda music and it's zelda exploration and zelda puzzles and zelda areas you know like the overworld map it just 
it screams Zelda in all the best ways, and it's so good. And there are some procedurally generated elements, but it's only when you go into the dungeons mm-hmm. and you have to just like beat a floor or two of a dungeon at a time. That pulls from Crypt of the Necrodancer, and you do a couple like procedurally generated things where you can't memorize. The rest of it is when you start a new save file, it will randomize the whole map one time, but then it locks it oh. in. Yeah, it locks it in for your entire save file. So if you go start another save file, you'll get another world, but you can also learn that world over time. So it's I not didn't like, know that. I thought the overworld was fixed and it was only the dungeons and caves that you go into. So the entire overworld gets seeded and once you, in a new game rather, you get a, a seeded new overworld. So all of the areas might be, instead of the southwest, it would be in the northeast. Yeah, so I've read... Huh of impressions from other people and you can tell that people get different layouts and have very different experiences because of it and that's one of the reasons that i'm thinking about going back and playing it again from scratch because i want to see what other kind of maps get generated and like how my gameplay goes the next time basically yeah and that's something that i think this game is going to be short like you said you did it in eight hours going through that and i've just been playing around i've gotten in the time since i've had it i've beaten the first boss and gotten a little bit further than that or at least gotten beat the first boss that looked like a boss i guess that it was treated like a zelda boss and uh, had a boss key and i love it and i want to go back afterward and once i beat it and see what other kinds of worlds there are now and like i don't think it will take most people eight hours it was that because i was playing with my kids and we were all playing on the same save file so they played a bunch without me oh um, okay i think that if i had just played through it would probably be like six-ish hours and i bet if you do a replay and you know what you're doing and you don't try to like 100 percent it or anything you could probably hit the four to six hour range fairly consistently every time you play through that's really cool like that is almost the that really that is almost the perfect zelda game because well, yeah, and it's it generates like it'll give you a different experience every time and we've never had a zelda game like that and that's one of the reasons that i was so impressed by this game i was like oh there's a ton of replayability here in a way that i've never seen in a zelda game before and that's something that we've needed because that's why we go to zelda clones because we love the type of gameplay but you don't have all you I mean you have a limited number of them that's why i'm excited for link's awakening on the switch because they have that that dungeon building aspect of it where you collect the rooms and chambers and be able to put them together that it gives different kinds of dungeon crawling and zelda playing and that's why breath of the wild was so awesome because it was just so big you could do whatever you wanted to with zelda so with this one being kind of random and especially if you turn the rhythm off of it it really does play almost like a typical zelda game that there's just enough different but off of it like it is you're playing a slightly modified zelda where you move one tile at a time or you play to a rhythm like i did and it's just amazing to induce this flow state but you're getting that in a rhythm game to zelda music fully sponsored by nintendo it's not a ripoff it's not a rom hack or anything it's just like zelda music at its peak and it's wonderful and there are things in this game that were just like every when i saw them i i just just brought me joy i guess is the best way to say it like the bosses the bosses are so cool how many bosses have you gotten to so far i've only beaten the i've only seen the first boss well and i don't even know if it was the first boss i've only beaten the maraca boss okay yeah so bosses are a mashup of classic zelda bosses that you like know like you'll recognize them and that melded with some kind of instrument is every Mm -hmm. boss in this game so you beat the maraca ones but it's based on i'm gonna forget his name the guy with the giant eye that's in a ton of different zelda games right all i can think of is goron and i know it's not it it starts with an a but i'm blanking on what it is exactly um so yeah there's that boss and i'm not going to spoil the other ones for you because you haven't gotten to them but all of them follow that pattern where it's a zelda boss that you will know and recognize Mm -hmm. in some form but it's mashed up with an instrument and then because of that they do things to the beat that they normally wouldn't and it i don't know i just had so much fun with this game and just the 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 encounter was really cool for the boss like i really like the dungeons because you have the the randomly generated like enemy and boss rooms in there like mini boss rooms where there are slight things different every time you go and you get locked in have to beat everybody in there with these randomized enemies and then the boss itself had a very unique encounter mechanic just the way that it was the this larger chamber being able to do this with the boss was just fantastic that i i 
I am I can't wait for when we finish recording this, I'm going to eat dinner and then go uh, play more Cadence of Hyrule to see where I uh, see what I can find and explore. Yeah. And it's like all of the core Zelda things are intact in this game. You know, you go through, you defeat a handful of dungeons. I'm not going to tell you exactly how many because I don't want to do spoilers for a game this new. Um, But you beat a handful of dungeons and each one gets you new abilities or new powers or new items. And then you equip those and you can do more things that help you explore more. Like the core Zelda loop that compels people to play those games is fully represented here. And the other thing that I wanted to mention before we wrap up the topic is I feel like most of the time when you see a procedurally generated game, it goes all the way procedural and the whole game is made up from whatever that algorithm is. And this is probably the best use of procedural generation that I've ever seen because it's not fully procedural. Like entire screens on the overworld map, each one is completely handcrafted and you can tell that it is but they're using their procedural generation to like generate you the whole overworld map and hook all of those screens together which is just interesting and it's cool and then the same thing in the dungeons like you were mentioning like there are sections in the dungeons that there's a whole floor that'll be procedural but then you'll get back to like the main level of the dungeon and it's like a puzzle room in a way Mm -hmm. that is you know fully handcrafted and it's just set up and then when you do get to the final boss past the boss key door you'll get into another thing that's handcrafted right so it's this back and forth between both but they've struck almost like the perfect balance there and everything about this game just feels like it like they loved it yes the people who made this loved getting to do it like those indie games that you'll see occasionally that you know were labors of love that they may not be you know they might not be the the call of duty kind of perfect triple a game uh graphics and stuff like that but when you play one like this you know that the people who put put the time into developing it had a good time loved it and basically had the the job of their dreams for a little while that's what this game feels like when you're playing it and and it really feels like the way that uh, nintendo did well it really feels like the zeldas when nintendo got capcom to develop oracle of seasons and oracle of ages oh yeah those are two of the best zelda games and they're not nintendo made that they're absolutely fantastic but they were done by an external studio and that's the way that this is as well and nintendo has been opening up for that over the last couple of years like licensing out their ip very selectively and like with uh, mario versus rabbits and all of that and mario plus rabbits i guess and now we're getting stuff like this that we would not have been able to get otherwise so i'm really excited to see what happens because of them expanding the way that they're using their ips And also, so, like, one of my favorite things in Zelda has always been the chickens. Like, you're wandering around, you see these chickens, and you just start beating it with your sword. And if anybody, if if you guys out there have never done this, what happens after you hit a chicken so, so much, so long, its friends come in and start, like, flying around the screen and doing damage to you because you, you beat up their buddy. And they will randomly put chickens in different, in different screens screens of this game uh, for if you're moving too far and not paying attention, you're going to hit this chicken, which can then make uh, make them start flying from all the other sides of the screen as an obstacle for you and then there is a black chicken that is in there as well sometimes and that one just takes one hit to have the chickens come in and attack you and I had no idea what was going on the first time I saw it I didn't even know that I had hit this black chicken and I actually got killed because there were so many chickens flying around and so many enemies on screen that even with me not being on the beat I couldn't avoid all of them it was so funny to me because i'm like wow they they booby trapped me with chickens yep yeah it's so good i love the i think they're cuckoos in the zelda right is that what they're called i don't have i can't remember like you say that i'm like that sounds right i I, had totally forgotten that but yeah like there's so many little touches that let you know that the people who made this game really love zelda like it it is a zelda game like there's no doubt in my mind you know it doesn't feel like a spinoff. It feels like a Zelda game. And that's probably mm-hmm. the best praise that I can give it. So whether or not you have rhythm, you have options, as both of us will attest to. Uh, but you should probably give this game a really long, hard look if you've ever liked a Zelda game before. 
Yeah, this one is so much better than I ever anticipated it being that I can't I can't recommend it enough. And right now, if you're listening to this when it goes live, the Cadence of Hyrule is $24.99 on Switch. But there is a sale going on for Crypt of the Necrodancer, the first one that inspired this one, where it is $3.99. So if you have any interest in this but don't want to make a huge investment on it, then check out Crypt of the Necrodancer dancer and you can uh, see if you like this kind of game and even if you remotely like it there is a character in crypt of the necrodancer called the bard that you can do where you don't have to follow the beat either so that one might be for you and it might be enough for me to go back and try now that i've done this so but it's like four dollars right now so like i said if you're listening to it as we publish it as we publish this you might be able to uh, get a good deal yeah, let us know if you check it out. And if you have any other rhythm game recommendations, like all, I will always take those, even if you won't. <laughs> um, okay, with that said, uh, let's do our not exactly geeky offer of the week, but geeky support platform of the week. Yeah, so I've run across this new platform called Glow. Um, and at the very top of the show notes, you're going to see a link to glow.fm. So if you click that, that will take you to an immediate support this podcast page that we're going to use uh, from this point on just as a way for you to support us. You can enter any amount that you want, and it lets you... Put, and it lets you pay through uh, Apple Pay or anything like that directly on your phone. It is, I think, three clicks uh, to show your support, and uh, it will just be directly within your podcast app. So if you don't want to have to go sign up for a Patreon account and deal with all of that, you can get the same stuff from us on uh glow.fm slash geek to geekcast but that is too much to remember so look at the notes in your hand right now click the link and see for yourself how easy it is i really like this so far so yeah it's cool flip over to the show notes and check it out you can click through without it's not going to immediately buy anything i promise but yeah no i promise it. it will not it's cool it's just you showed this to me and it's like if people think that there's too much friction to doing Patreon, this is like one or two steps less friction, so it's easier. So just another way you guys can support the podcast and encourage us to make more over time, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, with that being said, let's get on to our weekly geekery where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. I feel like we both have a lot, but let's start with you like we usually do. Okay, so the first thing that I want to talk about is actually the last thing on my list because I'm super excited about it. I woke up this morning to an email uh, from Podcast Movement, which is like the biggest podcast conference in the world. And I had thrown a an application at their scholarship program where it is cover, it's covering the it's covering the uh, registration fee for one uh, for a person at least and a few more, but they they're like five hundred to seven hundred dollars in registration. So I talked to my work about this uh, as part of my growth plan since I do live streaming and we're doing a lot more with podcasting and um, we just couldn't justify that cost on top of travel and everything, especially with that kind of thing generally being a team uh, a team thing. And I was like, if I can throw th- get this, that would cut the cost for me down by like 40 to 50%. And I woke up this morning and got it. So I'm I'm absolutely stoked for, uh, for this to be able to go to Podcast Movement. I've been looking for this for like three years since we started podcasting, over three years now, and have just never been able to spend the money to do it. And I am crazy excited to go there, learn so much, make connections and really help grow the community here. Try to bring in more people to talk to and get on Slack and Discord and that kind of thing uh, and enhance work too, like learn how to do better live streaming uh, on how to actually interact with the audience there more. Like I am just just crazy excited for uh, for getting more best practices that we can we can incorporate that we may not even know about yet. So it's it's so cool uh to wake up and and realize that when i put the emphasis on you guys i was talking about building the community around all of y'all and uh just how much how many 
friends that I've made and just that kind of thing where we want it to be this friendly, nice space. That's what I'd center my application on and it worked. And so I'm very, very excited. So I can't wait to, to, it's in August. I can't wait to come back and talk to you guys about all the stuff that was going on. Uh, so it's, it's in Orlando, uh, August 13th to 16th. So it's going to be super cool. Yeah, that'll be sweet. I know you and I have been talking about doing an episode on like the state of podcasting and we weren't sure like when the right time would be. And now it's like, oh, obviously, right when you get back from that, we're going to do that episode and talk about podcasting just for a whole episode, basically. Yeah, because it's changing so much right now. And so that's why this year, I think, is going to be really interesting because of of Gimlet and Anchor being bought by Spotify. There's so many new ways of monetization coming out. Uh, There are different like indie collectives out there and just a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. And I... I, I, I want to be in the middle of it. Like, this is the kind of thing that I really get excited about. I'm excited about the podcast industry, so I cannot wait to go to a conference about it. Sweet. And learn how to do all this stuff with live streaming and podcasting and everything. Also, so the main one of the other things, just very briefly, I got Thief as my first job in the Four Job Fiesta. I didn't know that it actually started yesterday as of this recording, so uh, I haven't gotten to use it yet. But I got Thief, uh, so we'll see how that goes when I get to the Wind Crystal and uh, start using that through it. Um, yeah, I got Knight, which is what I got last year, I think. So I've had okay. it before, but it's a decent first draw. If it was a really bad one or if it was one where I felt like I had enough experience with it, I probably would have bought my way out. But it's it's a decent one to start with. So I think I'm going to roll with it. Um, I'm not super far in yet, so I don't have a whole lot to say. But I will say that I know Capsule J, which is one of our streamers on the network. Um, he's also doing the four job fiesta. So that's a great place to look if you want to see some gameplay of it. And I mean, speaking of that, like the rest of the network this week, you know, Capsule J, he's streaming Tuesdays from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern and sometimes Thursdays and weekends. But he'll definitely have stuff around the four job fiesta. Um, Troidal, he's streaming on Thursdays and then sometimes randomly after dinner. And I know uh, Geetitude this week, I don't think they had a show, they had a hiatus week. But then Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, they did a whole show on Always Be My Maybe, which I know you talked about a week or two ago. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah. And then um, the geekery this week. What were people writing about this week? Uh, Austin's Dragon Quest Quest was about the new Dragon Quest Monsters Plus manga and how much he loved it. And then the 13th story was about... uh, why we put so much time into RPG grinds uh, because he put his time in and was so excited to get a shiny Rayquaza in uh, Pokemon. So it's just that kind of stuff for us. Yeah, and you guys can subscribe and kind of get that digest if you go to geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe. Sorry, just like that's a good point to everyone else on the network is doing stuff, but also related to the four job fiesta. So I think in another week or two, you or I will probably have some updates on like our actual playthroughs too. Yeah, at that point, because all I've got is the the job. You've got the a uh, little bit further, and I actually don't know what uh, Capsule J has for his, but I actually I'm going to check out some of his streams. Uh, and he has, I think it ends tonight or tomorrow. I don't remember, so it may not matter. His, the name his butts character, uh, name his butts charity auction, where someone gets to name his name his character better than Square Enix did. So, but you know, also I've been playing Warriors of Waterdeep on my phone, and you said you had two right like i have yeah i went through i know i've talked about this before but i go through periods of like i'll download a ton of mobile games and then i'll rapid fire try a lot of them and see if any of them stick so i did that about a week ago and i deleted you know like 90 95 of them like i normally did but one of the two that stayed on my phone was this one and i'm not sold on it as like a long-term game that i want to get invested in but i'm picking away at it every couple days it's kind of interesting yeah it's a dungeons and dragons based turn based uh, RPG where you're going through the maps, you're you have different character classes that you can unlock. Um, you get to choose which one you want at certain milestones, so everybody's party is going to be a little different. And you know, wizards, wizards, fighters, bards, barbarians, all of this, and they uh, it's just going through on a grid kind of turn based strategy stuff. But it's fun. It's really slick looking. The voices are neat. The uh, the graphics are are entertaining, I guess. And uh, so I've just really enjoyed it. Um, I haven't logged in every day and I haven't felt the need to, but I've had fun every time I have. Yeah, so that's kind of how I feel, too. It's it's a good like turn based strategy. But also you can tell the gotcha mechanics are in there. So I don't know if it's mm-hmm. going to turn into a grind because I haven't played long enough yet. But like 
there's enough there for a couple days of fun and we'll see if i'll if like i stick with it long term or if you do either yeah i think there's definitely the the gotcha mechanic where you upgrade your armor and and level up the characters and i can see it where i'm at right now getting to the point where i want to say i'm on the fourth dungeon or something i'm maybe level six ish right now and on most of my characters and i'm getting to the point where i'm fighting level nine and ten enemies and just getting owned and so it's just a bunch of grinding or gotcha and that's why i actually haven't logged in the last couple of days but when i do i'm still having fun so i haven't hit that point where i'm just frustrated yet um i also started actually playing dungeons and dragons last week i'm not sure if i mentioned that on the podcast or not whenever we were this was one that surprised me but once you said it i was like oh yeah that makes sense yeah and so i actually did because we were 13th story um is uh is a real life friend of mine actually uh named bobby and he runs a group he is actually dming this very second while we're recording which is why i couldn't make his games at a local game shop but we actually have a very big Dungeons and Dragons community in my area that I didn't know about where there are games going on maybe four or five nights a week uh, with different people at different places and they're all connected through a a Shoals area discord uh, for Dungeons and Dragons with channels for all the different game game shops and all this so I met some people uh, doing that I signed up for a game and ordered the player's handbook for fifth edition and went in last Thursday night and uh, played my first uh, Adventurers League game which is the official Wizards of the Coast sanctioned Dungeons and Dragons runs that you go through and can play at any card shop or game shop, I guess, that you go into uh, when you, uh, like any town that you want to. So you just bring this log sheet and you're using the same character anywhere you go and it kind of carries along. They have rewards that you get, uh, different things like that. And it's really, really cool, but it's two hours. That the the session that we were playing was two hours and that's what the game, game shop was set up for. That's what the Adventure League was adventurers league was set up for and it felt very rushed that a two-hour dungeons and dragons module is actually very short so um there was a lot of stuff that had to be skipped so this thursday we'll see what's going on but they're talking about doing a wednesday night four-hour session which actually seems a bit less rushed and i may jump in with that but i had a great time like it was with strangers but having Having been able to talk a little bit on Discord beforehand made all the difference. I wasn't just the rando who had shown up and sat down at the table and didn't know anything about anybody. I'd made sure during the week to talk and ask questions and and try to get to know people a little bit at least while we were uh, beforehand instead of just going in. And it really did make it a much easier transition into uh, going into a group of people I didn't know at all. So um, I'm going out and trying to make new friends. It's 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 That's hard. Good. As an adult, like making friends as an adult is hard. So it really so I'm is trying. Like, I've been thinking about that, too. I got to do that at some point once my kids are older and I have more time. I don't have the time right now. Yeah, but you're right. That like making new friend groups and stuff can be super difficult as an adult. But it's awesome that you're getting out there. And I could totally see how like talking to people on Discord or like checking it out in the community in some way beforehand could make a big difference. Yeah, and it's it made a. I've tried this one more time uh, before. It was about three and a half years ago when I wanted to do this, and I went to a, a session at this game shop when they were at a different location, and just kind of came in and played. And it was really awkward. Like they were in the middle of a group, they or middle of a. Uh, campaign they didn't really have a spot for me i'd use somebody else's character who wasn't there and i just felt like i was butting in and it that it just felt awkward and i didn't go back and so it it made me sad but that was the kind of impression that i got that i was barging in on someone else's time even though it was a public group and everything and so this time i felt like oh no i'm here i'm part of this and a lot of it was the discord set up before so um if you guys have been thinking about anything look on facebook is where i found it uh look at game shops websites um things like that uh warhorn is the site that they use to actually set up like who's going to be there and what they're playing and there's probably a link to a discord or something in your city or at least maybe even your area how wherever you are like ours is a four town 
area uh, that's a city where I, I'm sure there are dozens in the Twin Cities and everything up there. But um, there's probably some sort of online community where they communicate outside of that to set everything up. And it's probably on Discord at this point, given how prevalent it is. So Dude, that's super cool. If I'd known about it earlier, there's a good chance I would have already been a part of it. But now, uh, knowing that it's there made this transition so much easier uh, than just going and being like, hi, guys, how you doing? I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. It, it's much better than that. <laughs> okay. I'm like, hi, um, guys, I'm BJ. I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that's your Dungeons and Dragons voice. I love it. Um, I'm really tempted to make that my character voice. No kidding. Uh, my bard. I'm really tempted to make him talk like this. Please don't. Well, if you do, just don't do it on mic. That's all. That's all I ask. <laughs> um, this week... I did a bunch of stuff, so I don't know if I'm going to get through all of this, but some of it was, we'll, we'll start with some quick stuff. So I, my wife and I watched through the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO. It was really, right. really good, but it was also really, really intense. And we kept watching it as like the last thing at night before bed. And that was like the worst idea. I don't know. We, yeah. we just had bad timing on that. But it's such a good series. So if you have any interest based on any of the previews, or if you just want to know more about like nuclear disasters, like it was really good. Okay. So I have a question about this. Is okay, two questions actually. Is there one on Netflix as well, or is it just on HBO? I don't know about Netflix. It's the HBO is the dramatization one that's really okay. good. And that's what I was gonna ask. Is it a dramatization of it or is it a documentary? No, it's a dramatization. And it's okay. definitely it's not hundred percent accurate, but it's like they take things like there's a whole group of scientists supporting this one kind of like main scientist guy, and all of those people, it's like 30 or 40 or however many different scientists were helping figure out the problems. Those are all represented by one person, like one character that they created. So they take liberties like that, but all of the main points are there and it makes for a really compelling story. Okay, cool. That was one thing I was, I've been unclear on whether it was telling a story or, or documenting the story. Yeah, it's definitely telling a story, which is why it was so good. Um, So that was one. Another one that should be quick is, I watch Bon Appetit, which is like a YouTube channel, but there's a certain subsection of the videos called Gourmet Makes. And normally okay. I don't share like all the YouTube videos that I watch, like when we're talking in here, because it's whatever. People watch YouTube videos all the time. But this is one that I specifically think that you would like. So I wanted to bring it up and tell you about it on air. It is one where you know America's Test Kitchen, right? Yes. Okay, I love so it. it's America's Test Kitchen people, and it's one of the people from that trying to make gourmet like recreate junk food but do it like almost make it gourmet sometimes because they have to but sometimes it's just trying to recreate it and it gets really existential and it's amazing like what even is a twinkie you know and it's like (laughs) what are the parts that go into a twinkie and she'll make it and she'll like make it and it's really like if you're gonna start i suggest starting with the twinkie one because it's only like nine or ten minutes but it gives you a feel for the whole series and it's like well, this is really good, and I love this, but it's not close enough to a Twinkie. And so they're, like, sitting there, and it's all of these, like, professional bakers, you know, and chefs in America's Test Kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And they're, like, standing there, like, eating these ones that she made because she's trying to recreate, recreate a Twinkie. And the guy goes, it needs to be, like, worse. Like, you need to make this... <laughs> Like bad yellow cake. It can't just be yellow cake. And it needs to be chewier. And they're like, but it's not supposed to be chewy. He's like, yeah, but a Twinkie is. So it's like trying to recreate all of the bad parts of junk food to like get close to it while also trying to like up the game slightly, but it has to be close enough. So like that I watched fantastic. Like I've seen these on there. Like I, I we've watched some stuff from Bon Appetit before and I've never watched one of the gourmet makes. They're so good. So I watched the Twinkie one and I watched the Oreo one and both of those were fantastic. And I have it queued up i want to watch the doritos one because somebody told me that's where they get the most existential like what even is a dorito that (laughs) i bet yeah and so i just had to call attention to that because i really want you to watch them and tell me what you think i'm totally that's something that i can totally see myself watching tonight with jennifer like that is that is our kind of youtube channel that kind of garbage but it's a garbage tv show but at the same time it's enough to make you think and be like oh that's neat and learn something about that product or the the process of cooking exactly yeah um so another quick hit here i picked up just dance 2019 for my kids because they saw just dance 2020 when we were watching e3 press conference 
references and they were like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. And I said, well, there's a modern version of it and there's tons of E3 sales so I can get it for half off. So I bought it for them for like no money. It was great. And so they've just been dancing around with the Switch controllers, like um, the nunchucks, basically, not the nunchucks, but the Joy-Cons. Um, Joy-Cons. Thanks. Sorry, I was thinking about the Wii because yeah, I know. that's why, it's... because this game actually still releases on the original Wii every year. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, it's, it's I don't, uh, we were talking about this last week and I'm still blown away by them still releasing Wii games. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. But my kids are having a lot of fun with it and I'm having a lot of fun watching them have fun with it i'm not doing yep. a whole lot of the just dancing but they're having a really good time and that's the important part that's why i got that game i've done that with my little cousins and nephews where they were they were playing whatever version of just dance they had on the switch or connect on the xbox what i don't know but just sit i'm i'm bad at it as we've established earlier in this episode just dance is another one of those games that just doesn't work for me but i love watching kids do it it is hilarious watching watching these uh you know six to to 12 year old just dance it's it's so wonderful yeah it was good and then um i played the outer wilds for a while this last week and it's one where it's one of the rare games that kind of gave me a little bit of virgo like a little bit of nausea so i had to stop but it was so good that i have to mention it because if zero G in video games doesn't mess with you the way that it apparently messes with me, because it's like the third or fourth game that's done this now, I think I just can't do zero G in video games, um, which is sad because I really like space travel. Anyway, that's a side thought. If you aren't like that and you like exploration, Outer Wilds is one of the best exploration games that I've ever seen because wow. it is built around exploration. It's a handcrafted solar system with a ton of things to find and secrets to uncover and like ancient civilizations that you're trying to figure out what happened and what they did and how everything ties together. And the whole solar system is set up with physics that actually work fairly well. Okay. So like gravity will pull you towards planet and bigger planets will pull you faster. And you actually have to control your vehicle like a rocket, like the way that thrusters and retro thrusters and, you know, positioning and like tilt and yaw and all of that. And it's not overwhelming. Like it's very approachable. But it was just it's an amazing game about exploring and it's on a 20 minute time loop about 20 minutes so there's something because of that there's something happening over time in like everywhere that you look so if you get to a certain planet or a certain place in the solar system at a certain time there's like a scripted event happening but because they've limited it to this like 21 minute time loop they can do lots of cool events all over the solar system and they know that you'll get around to it eventually. You know, you don't have to make it like infinite length. They just had to make a really cool 20 minutes everywhere in the solar system all simultaneously. So it was a really cool game. How is it on a 20 minute time loop? Like what I've I've seen videos of it and it reminded me of No Man's Sky. So I kind of just been like, eh, but how is it on the the, the what you're describing sounds so much better than what No Man's Sky was for us. Oh, yeah. Like I don't. I don't understand the 20 minute time loop though. So what's what's the mechanic here? How do they do this? The sun goes supernova and then you wake up at the beginning and you have to figure out what's going on. Oh, okay. it's the core mystery of what's happening. And that's what like drives you forward. Like you're trying to figure out what's going on in the solar system. Okay, that was what I was really confused about. Like all of the videos and stuff have been beautiful of of just bouncing around in the uh, in the rovers and doing everything. But I like I said, never never even gave it a second thought because of how it was so similar to No Man's Sky in, my, in just the the overarching kind of of genre, but it sounds way cooler than that. Is it a combat game at all? Is there combat, or is it just like exploring, figuring stuff out? No, it's uh, just not... exploration. It's okay, cool. Pure exploration. It's really cool, and you can die in all sorts of dumb ways too, which is also fun. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's not overly punitive. Like, you won't just die randomly all the time. It's not that kind of game. But there is enough of that where you're like, oh, I died because I wasn't paying attention to how fast I was going, and physics actually matter. And then I crashed into something super hard. Like things like that. You know. Is it Switch or PS4? Because I don't think it's out on PC yet, according to Steam. I played it on PC. That's what I was playing it on. Did you? Yeah. Huh. It says this game is not yet available on Steam. It's Outer Wilds. It's not Outer Worlds. So No, Wilds, yeah. Oh, it might be on Epic Store or something. I don't know. Oh, it may be. That's probably what it is. Yeah. So Outer Wilds was really good. Um, 
the other thing that I want to mention that I did this week was actually kind of like you. You went to an in-person D&D event. I went to an in-person magic event, which I didn't know really? if I was ever going to do. Yeah. So my brother really wanted to check one out. And so we went together and like, you know how my schedule is. Like I have to plan way ahead of time. So right. we picked a date like three weeks in advance. And I was like, I can go on Saturday to one of these sealed events. Cause we were looking at like what their weekly schedule is. So we, yeah. went, we went on a Saturday afternoon and we went to a sealed event and we got there. And I was, ex- the reason that I was comfortable going was I feel like I know the war of the spark cards well enough now that I could actually right. do a sealed event and not feel like super stressed or time pressured because I understand the cards like I can put together a deck fairly quickly, you know, because I've done that a bunch now because I've been playing standard in Magic the Gathering Arena and I've been doing sealed events in Magic the Gathering Arena like I get it. So we get there and we walk in and we're like, yeah, we want to do the sealed event. And this is literally my first in-person magic event ever. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, for sure. We're doing Modern Horizons today. Do you still want to do it? And it took like three weeks for my brother and I to line up this time on this day, right? So we just right. look at each other and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it if you will. And he's like, yeah, sure. So we drafted, not drafted, we did a sealed event for Modern Horizons. I had literally never seen any one of these cards before in my life. So it was way more stressful than I thought it was going to be. Right. But of it course. was still, it was an interesting experience because Modern Horizons, do you know what that set is about? No, I don't know that one at all. Okay, so we've talked about how modern works, right? Like, uh, as a format? I don't know if we have. Okay, so modern, do you know how it works? Do you know the different classifications? Is modern type 2? Because that's all I know. Is, I don't know what is, type I, 1 and type no, 2 are. I don't know standard. Like, standard is pretty okay. much all. I, I don't know. Yeah, so, I don't know modern. Legacy is back to the beginning of Magic. You can use any card for whatever. Standard right. is the last 12 to 24 months, depending on, like, when the cutoff was and what time you're talking right. about. So right now we're getting close to that 24-month po- like place where we have almost two years of cards that have released like all those sets right modern is everything from magic the eighth edition onward so it's like an arbitrary point they picked back in time and everything (laughs) beyond that just because some of the things earlier in magic's history were so broken or the cards are so hard to find and they're so rare now because they printed so many fewer so that's what modern is right i think i stopped playing at seventh edition that's hilarious i think i have some eighth edition cards but yeah that's right at, they, they started doing that right after i got out so that's why i have no idea about it so when cards fall out of standard when you hit that cutoff point which we're going to pretty soon it's going to cut mm-hmm. off another year worth of cards they all go into modern right and okay. this is their specialty product for the year is called modern horizons and they always do a specialty product every year which i didn't realize but i looked back and it's like oh okay i see how they have the year structured and this specialty product this year is modern horizons and it basically skips standard so that they could do things that would completely break standard and they just go straight into modern so this doesn't like interact with anything in standard right now or any of the recent sets or if for me the part that matters is any of the keywords or any of the mechanics that I actually understand are not in the right. set. This goes right back to old mechanics and old like keywords and things that I've literally never seen in my life. So I'm looking through these cards like, what does this do? What is this keyword? Like, what is going on? And I put together a deck and I played and, you know, I did, it was best of three matches and I played against right. three different people. And I won one game in each of my matchups. So I felt pretty good about that for having never seen any of the cards before. Yeah, I mean, going in blind on something like that and really learning and probably having to ask them a lot of, okay, what's that do? Uh, Yeah. is, uh, Is not bad at all. Well, of course, the first person I get matched up against is the most hardcore magic guy at the entire event. You know, Ugh. he has the playmat. He has like literally every token that anyone could possibly need. He has every single land that he plays is like a full, full like art card land, yep. you know? Yeah. And y- you can just tell like he's like a serious, serious magic player. And I'm like, this is literally my first event in my first game ever. So even with that i still had a good time i just i think that if i walked in in the future and they were drafting something or doing a sealed for something that i didn't know the set i wouldn't do it but now i'm kind of eyeing 
um, the core 2020 stuff, like, hmm, maybe yeah. I'd want to do that when nobody else knows the cards either. Like, that that could be a fun thing to try out. Yeah, that really could be. I mean, but also, now that you've gotten this out of the way, now that you've done this, it may be easier for you to go in and just know what to expect out of it. Be like, I'm going in specifically to learn this stuff and to have a good time. That get some cards, do this, have a good time, and maybe make some friends. Yeah, I don't know about that last part. Some of the people were okay. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, if you went regularly and you met the regulars, it would be totally fine. But this was my first time. So, yeah, I'm not sure about that. So, I'm cu- I actually agree with you on that. That was That's always been the hard thing for me is because when I go to a card shop, I don't know. There's kind of a – I always say card shop because that's what I grew up with. But when I go to a game shop that I don't know, there are always people who look at you like you're an outsider. And that was something for me this week that didn't happen. Like they were actually very, very, very welcoming, which I thought was fantastic. I even stayed late talking to a couple of people uh, after the store closed in the parking lot. And they were super nice to me uh, all around. Were these people, when you went to a Magic Sealed event as a newbie, were these people nice to you? Yeah. Yeah, nobody okay. was mean. It was good. It was good overall. You know, um, I'm glad I went with my, with my brother. I would definitely do right. that part again. I don't know if I'd go alone. I think it was more about my nerves were getting to me a little bit because I didn't know the set. And that just put me on edge for like the whole uh, night. Okay. Whereas like if it was War of the Spark, I was planning on kind of like sinking into it and being able to talk more. But I yeah. do so much reading of my cards and reading of their cards and trying to understand what was interacting that I couldn't talk as much as I wanted to. Whereas if I knew that, the cards already, I would have been able to have like conversations. That makes total sense. I 100% understand that. Uh, I was feeling the same way where I did a lot of studying up and listening to the Adventure Zone before going to play D&D for 5th edition. And uh, so I knew, knew the basic of what I could say and do without being like, okay, what can I do at this point? Um, but then just had to ask about uh, certain things that I hadn't done. So it was a much better experience than going completely blind like this where it's like i don't know what that card is can you hand it here yeah we just rolled with it and you know i got to see some cool cards and some cool card interactions and i got to see a ton of keywords and mechanics that i've never seen because they're all so old and nowhere close Mm -hmm. to standard right now so in hindsight it was really cool and i'm glad i did it it was just in the moment it was a lot more stressful than i had planned on it being but like you said now that i've done it once i think going back again would feel less intimidating which is a good thing yeah Um, and then the other thing is i have my official number from like wizards of the coast now so you can register in their system and it's like a dci number number. okay and they do the same thing for i think other things it's not just Mm -hmm. magic like D &D, actually do you have that for the adventures league yeah i actually uh got my D &D, uh or i got my dci number uh before going into uh going into it i have a picture of it on my phone of the the card with a dragon on it now so yeah you and i both have dci numbers we got them in the same week which is hilarious that is hilarious that we got them for two different games that kind of uh completely separate and ignorant of the other one doing it and the only thing that makes me sad about it is that i don't know my old dci number like i have a DCI number from back when I was young, but I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's any way for me to find the old one that I had from like when I started playing when I was 14. That's funny. So I got a new one now, but yeah, we both have DCI numbers again. So the part that I really like, and this would be one of the reasons I would be tempted not to go back to any other magic event ever is that on my DCI number, on my official account, I have two participation points and that's literally it. That's everything on my entire account. I have two participation points because I've officially lost every match. And it's just kind of <laughs> perfect. Like, I participated. Good job, me. Like, just those two points hanging out there. So, yeah, I'll probably go back to an event. My brother and I will probably go do more. But I'm going to enjoy my two participation points until then. I 100% agree with that. Like, that is awesome. Like, you you, you did. You got your participation trophy. Yep, it's, 100%. Uh, it's so good. I, I do suggest y'all going to what it whenever they do a pre-release for the uh, the next the next one's a core set I think the next uh, one's core set it's at the end of this month start of next month it's like July second oh, really? ish I think it's that Fourth of July weekend like oh, right wow. before I thought that. it was in August or September um, no that'll be the next so I know about this stuff now because I've been reading a lot about Magic lately but the core set 
releases like right around this time of year and then okay. the fall set is the last like real set for the year so that's not going to be too far off you should definitely do pre-releases for those now that you've done this and kind of gotten uh broken the broken the barrier i guess uh i highly suggest pre-releases because everybody is learning the cards nobody knows what's going on and e- sometimes they'll know it because of course that's like reprinting stuff but they don't not everybody has seen all of these interact like that where you might have more of a and and you might have more of a level playing field yeah for sure i just i wouldn't do modern horizons again but i could definitely see myself doing something so yeah we'll see in the future i'm sure i'll talk about it on here if i do um but that's probably it for this week you guys can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek to geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter at geek to geekcast we also have longer discussions on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek to geek cast we also have great discussions on slack and discord you can go to geek to geek media.com for invite links and you can hang out with us and check out all the other content on the network while you're there i blog at angrymushroom.com and you can find me at grn mushroom that's green mushroom without the e's on twitter and i'm on twitter as at professor beach that's beach with two e's and you can listen to me even more on the dragon quest fm podcast we've been void and beach with your geek to geek podcast that'll do it for this week see you next week geeks Bye, geekies! Hi everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we are the hosts of Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want. Katie! Yes? Stop thinking about Zac Efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about. Well, we've talked about Zac Efron. No, get it together, Katie. Fine. We've talked about fan fiction, classical literature adaptations, favorite TV couples, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is and download our podcast today. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello, friends. This is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch.